All right, everyone, welcome back. Another episode of the Moonlighters Club. Uh, this is two in a day where I'm, I'm like doing this like a real thing now. So uh, I'm uh, I'm happy. I'm joined by Ivy Watts. Right. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I actually saw you speak at an event mm -hmm. through WeWork. Mm -hmm. I think it was positioned specifically for people of color in sports, right. I think. Right. I remember going there and hearing you talk and I'm like, all right. Your story was pretty dope. And uh, it, we'll get into that into detail, but as someone who used to play a little bit of basketball, like not serious, I like sports and stuff like that. Right, so right. I just okay. like the mission you were pushing. Perfect. So uh, we'll just start and say, uh, we'll just start from where you're from originally. We can okay. just go there and work. All right, sounds good. Uh, I was born here in Boston, um, grew up in Waltham, spent my entire life there, um, and currently now live in Quincy. So I stayed in Massachusetts my entire life. I went to school in Connecticut, but been on the East Coast for the most part. Do you have to ride a red line every single day? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's the worst. How awful is that? <laughs> it's so bad, like with the derailment and, and everything, and I'm in Quincy with the one stop that's being renovated. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I can't. I was going to take the train today and I was like, no, I'm just driving. I'll find parking somewhere because I can't. <laughs> For those who live in Boston, we have the cheapest yet shittiest yeah, train line exactly, in the city. Exactly. Two lines have fallen off the tracks yeah. <laughs> in the past three months. Like, they they're, yeah, yeah, they brought the prices up to like literally it's the worst thing ever. Yeah, like really I have to take is. orange line which smells like pee, yeah. but it works for the most part, but I only take the red line to get to Cambridge. That's three stops. Right. I used to do it in 10 minutes. Yeah, no. Now it takes like 35 exactly. minutes. It's, exactly. It's awful. There's always a fire, medical emergency, like you just can't win. So, <laughs> I'm just getting angry about it. So, you live in the Waltham. Did you go to Did you go to college in Massachusetts? Or uh, did Connecticut you University Connecticut. of New Haven. University of New Haven, and you played sports there. Yes, I ran track. Got it. I knew I. I, I want to make sure I didn't get that wrong. I'm like, I'm pretty sure she ran track. What was your race? Uh, four hundred. Okay, nice. Yeah, I ran so the four in high school. Yeah, it's a tough race. It's really tough race. Super hard. I tried high jump, mm. and they were. Uh, I, I thought because I dunked in high school right. that I was going to uh, uh, be good at it. Yeah, and then uh, high jump takes a lot of skill. It's really hard, and I got super discouraged because there was this dude who was like, "I was in Minnesota. I like my last year of high school. I went to Minnesota, and I'm like, I'm about to come out here, right? And like my hood genetics are about to take over. <laughs> and this one, I never forget. He was a regular. He looked actually he looked like Shaggy from Scooby Doo. That's what I do. <laughs> he came out and jumped like straight up six eight, and at that point, I quit. <laughs> And they were like, just do the 400. And I'm like, all right, I'll do that. So I was like middle of the road. Oh, gosh. 400. And I'm like, I'm cool with that. So. It's not a fun race, though. So I don't know if it was a good compromise. But Did you choose it? <laughs> well, it kind of just chose me, I guess. I was a short sprinter for a little while okay. there. So I did the 200 and 100. Then like late high school, I started to figure out that I was better a strength sprinter. So the yeah. 400, 800 was more of my speed, I guess you should. What was your best that. time? My best time uh, was 55 Six. Yeah. So 55.6. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. nice. All right. So you ran that. You did that all throughout college. What is that actually like? Because like now more than ever, I'm hearing about like I knew athletes um, in college. Right. But you, right. I feel like you only hear about basketball and football for the right. most part. Right. What's it really like? Yeah. running and going to class? Oh, it's a lot. It's a lot of pressure. I went to a division two school and you would think that there's less pressure than division one, but right. coaches still expect you to be there seven hours a day to practice. Um, and that's a lot of time when you still have class all day and have to do homework. So you're up all night, but then you have to get enough yeah. sleep to practice and be up at 6am and have a social life. So it's, it's really taxing. Um, but I think it's a really great experience because you do learn a lot of life skills and about teamwork and about, you know, hard work and, and pushing through adversity, but it is really difficult having to manage all of those things. 
was there was it like scholarship was school was it related to uh, yeah okay so then there's added right added pressure because yeah. you know that you're there getting paid and and yeah. you have to meet a certain standard you know and and it's kind of repeated to you to, to meet that standard and that that causes a lot of anxiety for people for sure so throughout your school career would you say that could you enjoy it more than you couldn't like was it all in all more fun than it was stress or do you feel like it was kind of just like even so when i was an athlete i did struggle a lot with mental health issues and i struggled a lot in silence and i think my experience as a whole was an enjoyable experience but i had so much pressure on me from other people and on myself that i think it took away from it a little bit so when you when i think about it as a whole like i loved college i loved being a student athlete but when i think about the nitty-gritty day-to-day it was incredibly stressful and led to a lot of struggles that i had after college dang yeah could you tell anyone when you were running because i feel like Sports is one of maybe it's different. Maybe like it's a like a. I feel like especially for guys, there's this alpha thing, right? right. Like yo, just eat it. But I honestly see it in sports in general. Mm-hmm. Like, can you honestly tell a teammate or someone, yo, like I'm just not here? Like, does anyone want to hear that? So that's the thing. It's hard. I think it's hard. And, and I think more schools are coming around to having those open conversations. But okay. I think there is a stigma around mental health and athletics to just suck it up. Like whatever you're dealing with, a physical issue, a mental issue, just suck it up. So you might have those teammates who are really open and want to hear what you're going through and, and want to work with you through it. But then there might be those people like, I really don't care. Like you're here to play. You're here to run fast. And I need you to do that. Right. Um, and so those conversations do happen. And when those conversations happen, unfortunately, those students who are struggling are like, well, I'm not going to talk to anybody. But, you know, one of my closest teammates or coaches wasn't receptive to what I was saying, which definitely, mm. you know, adds to that stigma and, and adds to that struggle that student might be dealing with. Could you. So when you were doing this and playing, did you find any solace in study when you were going to school? Like academics? Yeah. Again, another pressure situation. <laughs> like I, I was 100 percent needing to be a perfectionist. Um, and so. It was athletics and academics. Like I walked away from school with a 3.97 GPA. Nice. Perfectionist. I was nowhere near that. (laughs) That's nice. I had to be. I had to be. And that added so much. You have 3.9 ball playing sports? Yeah. That's insane. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. But it's also like looking back at it, you know, you do look at all of those things that you you kind of like put so much pressure on yourself. You like almost hated yourself for like not you don't you don't ever feel perfect when you're chasing out that perfection so Dang. academics although i'm doing great in school and that kind of added to the fact that nobody recognized that i was struggling because no one no one thinks that girl with a 3.97 yeah, yeah. who's running really pretty fast on the track and like you know has friends and a good family like no one thinks that that's the person that's struggling but that's often the the person that is do then when you were going through this is it easy for you to tell someone I'm having a bad day or no, it was not easy back then uh, because that perfectionist mentality tells you like, I can't let anybody see me as weak. I can't let anybody judge me. So I'm just going to let everyone see that 3.97. I'm going to let everybody see that perfect person. But on the inside, I'm just, I'm going to literally be tearing apart. Um, And I learned, I learned differently now, but back when I was really struggling, no, it's kind of like you're in this bubble, unfortunately. Yeah. My family comes from uh, South Carolina. Uh, My dad's from Alabama. My grandma's Mm -hmm. from Carolina. And the men are just like, no, you just swallow all the anger, put it like right Right, here. Heart attack at like 55. And then you're like, oh, okay, whatever. (laughs) So like, even like just seeing that and I don't know why um, I feel like in our community it happens a lot but like even for me like 
if someone asks me, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'll talk. We'll talk. You're like, right. Joe, you you're right, but I'm never going to initiate the right. conversation of right. like, yo, this is like, I'm not having fun right now. It's just exactly. weird, exactly. and that's not good. No, <laughs> like, it's not. It's not. It's not. But that's a good point. There is like, if people are educated in terms of like what a bad day looks like for for you or for yeah. anybody, like then they're like, they're gonna know like, okay, I have to ask Joel because I know he's not gonna come to me. So like, let me just check in and see how he's doing. Right. And that's important for people to feel like they can ask those questions. But that's also scary because if I ask you that question and then you're like all of these things are going wrong. You're like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how to help you or what to say. Like that's scary for like the person on the receiving end. So that sometimes creates some fear and like even having that conversation. So this is interesting because I feel like for most, um, maybe most, but most people in college, it's kind of like, if you don't have too many things like that, it's a really carefree time. Right. But then things get really hard when you leave. Mm. For you, you're excelling at your studies, right? You're playing sports and you're ready to get out of school. Mm-hmm. What's that like when you're already in an environment that's fairly stressful mm-hmm. and now you got to, what did you go to school for? Uh, psychology. Okay. So you're out. Did you have something lined up as far as work for when you got I out? I did. I did. What did that even feel like crossing that stage? And they're like, are you not even here anymore? Are you happy? Are you like... So, um, my athletic struggle really, again, this perfectionist mentality is that my goal was to run 54 seconds. And that's because my coach told me I was here to replace a girl who was this five-time national champion. She was a woman of the year. <laughs> she ran 54 seconds. So like my coach said, like, you're here to replace Shannon Gagne. So from day one, I'm like, I have to do this. I have to be perfect. And so when I left school, not having ran that time, not being an athlete anymore, not continuing on with professional sports, that wasn't, it was a goal for me at one point, but then just kind of never happened or I guess never (laughs) tried to go to that far. But once I left school and then I didn't run that 54 seconds, that's when I really started to struggle with depression because I felt so much like a failure. That's so crazy. That perfectionist mentality literally ruled everything and then tore me apart because that 54, literally that one number meant so much to like what my life depended on. It was was crazy. First of all, damn coach. Like, and Shannon, really? So like, you (laughs) got to run so fast. So that's messed up because I don't understand why people would say that for sports terms. It's like, like, let's look at basketball. Like to look at someone go, okay, this person before you averaged 30 points. Right. Like what? Like, isn't it about like winning? Like, right, whatever. Right. So that's awful because now you have this number in your head yeah. and you actually had the measuring stick to like how much you reach or did not reach. Right. So I could right. see why that would be shitty. Exactly. So exactly. You, you leave with that pressure. Mm-hmm. Did you work? Were you like still close to home when you were working? Was that was that Boston area or was uh, that? Yes, back it in? was this area. Yeah. So you're back in Boston and you got this. What's work like? You got this thing in your head. Yeah. Right. Are you all right? Like throughout this process or are you just like, whatever, I'm out. School's done. I'm done. No. Yeah. It was really, really a tough time for me. Um, and I just feel like because of all of this that kind of just kind of went out of control in a sense. Um, and I was like in a really bad relationship that was incredibly emotionally abusive. So it was kind of just like this spiraling mm. of really bad situations because yeah, you, I feel like a lot with athletics, with athletes who kind of have their whole self-worth yeah. in athletics, when you leave your, your whole world does come crashing down, especially because there's never really a chance to build up any other part of your identity when you're an athlete, Yeah, especially because like, like I said, seven hours of your day is dedicating to being like, running yeah. or, or, you know, playing basketball or whatever it is, crafting your, your, your talent and, and you don't ever have a time to really figure out who else you are. So then when you leave and you have to go into the work environment, you have to, you know, be a productive member of society. It's really, really hard. And, um, I struggled with that a lot. I had like no sense of self-worth and, um, yeah, it, it it led to a lot of mental health struggles and continuing to feel like I, I had to let the world see that I was that perfect person. So again, just continuing to like be, 
in this bubble, be in silence. So you're working in the, the interesting thing is you're working in psychology. Yes. What, what were you doing out of school in psychology specifically? Um, so I was working at Riverside Community Care and okay. I was in the quality department. So I was um, just making sure that our clients were really liking the care that they were receiving. Okay. Um, and I always think it's interesting that I was working in the mental health field. I had a psychology degree, so I'm learning about mental health struggles, but can never really see that I was the one that was struggling. Yeah. Um, it was just, I think it's like kind of one of those things you don't recognize that you're struggling until you've hit rock bottom. So I, I'm learning about everything, but the stigma from teammates or from society spoke so much louder than what my professor was saying or what I was, you know, learning on the job. Do you, do uh, most people who have or think they have mental health issues, like something like depression, mm-hmm. do they rate it or judge their level of depression? I'm asking you because I don't know psychology. Right. right. Uh, do they judge it by? other people, you know what I mean? And they go, well, he's struggling harder. He's smiling. So I shouldn't be sad. I should be kind of fine. So I can't be depressed. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That happens so much. You think about the other person and you're saying, well, they have it worse than me. Like I'm fine. I don't need to talk about it. When everyone's struggle is different, everyone's struggle is valid. And I think that if you're hurting, like you should be able to talk about that to somebody, whether that's a friend, a, a parent or a therapist, you know, I think that there's a space for everyone, no matter what your struggle is. If you think it's the smallest thing in the world, like you stubbed your toe and that really made you struggle. Like Go talk about it. Like I'm really an uh, advocate for whatever you're struggling with to speak up about it. So you're working. How long were you working at? Uh, about two years. It? Two years. Was it for you getting to the point where you felt uh, okay with letting people know what was going on? Was that gradual? Was it like something that happened that was instant? Yeah. Or? So after I left Riverside is when I left that toxic relationship and mm-hmm. started working on myself. And that's when I got into therapy. So even while I was there, it was still this silent struggle. They didn't, okay. no one knew about it still in that time period. So you started seeing therapy mm-hmm. and as someone who studied psychology, right. is therapy hard? Therapy is difficult to do because you have to be willing to do the work. You can't really go in there and expect the therapist to just say like, okay, here's the answer to all of your problems. Like you have to do a lot of soul searching, you know, like day one, you go back to like, so what's your mom like? What's your dad like? What was your childhood like? And those sometimes are really like uncomfortable questions for people to want to answer. So you have to like be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's hard, especially if you spend your entire life not talking about anything. So, but I think if you are at that point where you're ready to do therapy, you have to kind of just be like, okay, I'm going to tell you everything. This is a person that I have to trust because by law, they can't talk about anything that I say here unless it's that I want to hurt myself or hurt someone else. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard, but I think it's incredibly worth it. So you start doing that. I, yeah. And I feel like I'll, I I thought it was just the black community, but now I'm finding out that my friends were Irish, uh, Italian, like any like strong culture, they're like, right. we don't do that here. Yeah. Like you just literally like, you don't pay for the ability to talk right. to someone. Like I had a friend who was married and he, his family didn't know what anxiety was. Mm-hmm. They didn't get it. Right. They were like, what? Exactly. <laughs> like exactly. you're, you're just nervous or something. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So you start doing that. And do, when do you notice a change? Like I, I, I do think it's where there are times where I feel anxious Mm-hmm. and it's related to something like I don't like flying but I can tell when I'm right. being anxious about a flight yeah but then there are times where it just happens yeah. but I can't really tie it to anything right. it's just like gone right so for you you you're going through this and you you, t- you start talking to someone mm-hmm. how do you notice that things are working like how do you even know right, right. I think it took a lot of time um it was like probably even like a, a year yeah. or so. And and that's also discouraging to people. Like when I talk to people, yeah. they're like, oh, how long did it take you to start feeling better? And it's like, oh, a year. And they're like, oh, I don't want to, it's a long time. You know, like it feels like forever. But it, it's, it's, 
really, you have to put in the work because your brain has been wired to be negative or, or, or to, you know, you have depression and you have to really do that work or you get medication or, or whatever it is. So it did take me a fairly long time. And it was, it was a combination of therapy. Like I said, leaving this relationship that allowed me to finally focus on myself and then mm-hmm. doing some positive affirmations because my brain was just so negative about how I felt like a failure, this 54 seconds, like not feeling good enough. And so then I, I really had to do that work through positive affirmations and like rewiring my brain to tell myself that I was beautiful or that I was good enough and and doing that work to finally start, you know, understanding who Ivy was. Okay. So now let's get into what you do outside of work, which you will eventually be doing full time. So (laughs) what is your uh, uh, business around that? If you could describe that. Yes. So I would say that I'm a mental health empowerment speaker. Um, So I speak to students, mostly student athletes and coaches and administrators about mental health. Uh, So I go in and I talk about my own personal struggle that I struggled with anxiety and depression, this need to be perfect around 54 seconds. Um, And really just empowering the students to know that they're not alone, that there's other people who look like that walk like them, play sports like them that have also struggled and that it's okay to struggle, but that they can talk about it, that there's resources around them and that they don't need to struggle in silence. And it's been really empowering for me for students afterwards to come and talk to me and say, I never knew anyone else Mm. like I did, or I am struggling. And you made me feel like I could go and talk to somebody and like, that's what I'm going to go do. And, you know, maybe I don't, you know, save their lives, but in that moment, they feel empowered to go make a difference for themselves or for a friend. Um, And so I've been going around schools, mostly in the Northeast, but I was actually out at the NCAA in June, which was yeah, a really that's awesome. great opportunity. Um, and I spoke to 70 coaches. So I do, I do a lot that's of awesome. that work. And with the coaches is a little bit different. I'm empowering them to really recognize warning signs in their athletes and yeah. then having that tough conversation. Like I noticed that you're struggling. This is what the conversation should look like. This is who I should refer you to, yeah. uh, things like that. So it's really all about that empowerment piece, but the, it's a little bit different depending on the crowd. So what point did you get? Because I, I feel like I, I was talking to someone else about this. Like, I think of people who speak professionally. Right. Uh, I don't even like at what point did you say I want to do that? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. especially about this, because I feel like most people I know who do it, it's business stuff. Right. And it, I feel like everyone wants to get on stage. You'd be like, this is marketing. Right. You know what right. I mean? Right. But specifically for something like this, at what point were you like, I got to talk to this with other people? Right. I think when I recognized how useful therapy was for me and like using my voice to heal myself, I recognized that I could use my voice to potentially heal others as well. Yeah. Um, so I was invited to speak at University of New Haven where I ran. Unfortunately, one of our coaches had passed away by suicide. And so oh, they wow. asked me to come because I was a psychology student and I was a student athlete just to come and talk to the team about maybe what they were struggling with yeah. or just about suicide prevention in general. And then from there, it was very like a, a structured presentation. From there, I was like, I made a difference here kind of just talking about suicide prevention for these students. And so maybe I can tell my story and help them as well. And so then it kind of turned into the blog that I have, Beautifully Simply You. And it was a blog post that's every Monday that was helping people. And then it kind of turned into, oh, wait, I want to tell my story. And 20 minute speech turned into two and a half hour workshops. So it kind of just has spiraled from one time just being asked to do a presentation to something that I'm incredibly passionate about. That's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, so when you got to, what was that first, like after you went to school and, and spoke the first time you went out and did it, right? After you did right. your blog, what, what's right. that like that first time getting in front of people who don't know you Yeah. and you're like, 
It's it's scary. I mean, I think it's always scary, especially when you're telling like some of your deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah. Um, but I think just with any, like anything, it, it gets easier with time when you continue to practice and um, just really knowing that the, the value you're adding to these students. And I start to think it's it's less about me. Yeah. And if I mess up on stage, like who cares? Like that's something that I used to really care about with like social anxiety. But it's not about how perfect I am on stage. It's about the message that I send and helping those students. Like even if I just help one student, that's enough for me. So that's what I always try to go in with, even though it's incredibly nerve wracking every time to be in front of 20 students or 300, every time, just like if there's one student I can help, then this was worth it to me and all the nerves, everything was worth it. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty cool. Like, so what goes into, so the blog and just like how, What's it like? Like, how do you even maintain that? Like, I blog, I suck at writing. Like, we, I do a blog. It's and that it pisses me off because I did like one, and people are like, "Yo, this is awesome." I'm like, "Oh, Shit. well, then that's good." Now I gotta keep doing this. Like, I don't like, I don't even. Uh, but so, like, uh, is it hard for you to put those words on paper? Like, specifically emotions. I feel like yeah. I can only emote verbally, right. usually angrily, and then yeah. I cry after yeah. I yell yeah. a bunch. Yeah. I don't really even know how to articulate how mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like on paper. Right. So what's that process like? So I've kind of the opposite. I've always been really good at expressing myself, even if it was just to myself and journal, like journaling. Yeah. So writing has always been a strong point for me. So that's been easier. The speaking part has been more difficult for me. Uh-huh. I've always hated public speaking. Um, I've always hated conversations You can't tell. Like this. You're no, like, I've, I've, I've worked a lot. It's been a lot tell. of practice spending time in my apartment talking to a wall. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, writing has always been a really good outlet for me, whether it was for something I was struggling with or just like just creative sense. Um, so yeah, blogging has been kind of easy uh-huh. in that sense, but it's just hard. I think I, I think I feel the pressure sometimes that I've, I've, you know, committed to doing this every Monday. Mm. So then it's like today's Saturday. I'm like, I haven't written a blog post. I usually have this done by like Wednesday. And so I have to, you know, I have to think of something tonight or tomorrow. And that adds like a different level of pressure when I shouldn't really, you know, no one's really expecting that. It's kind of something more that I put on myself. So I think that's probably the most difficult piece of it is like being like, okay, I said I would do this every Monday. Who's even actually reading it? I don't really know. Like, I know there's a couple yeah. people, but once I have an idea, I can write it like that. Sometimes yeah. it's just hard to get that idea. <laughs> so, so I'm glad you brought out the pressure. Is it, do you still have a little bit of the uh, athletic mentality with your work? Yeah. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Cause I feel like I see it in pretty much every company at work, especially right. the closer you get to the top or sales, right. it's bro sport yeah. mentality. Yeah. Like we got to get this, we got to crush this shit. And you're like, I get it, but come mm-hmm. on. <laughs> so for you, is it, is it helpful? And for organizations, do you think it's helpful? I mean, I think having any type of athletic experience is incredibly helpful for you in the workspace. Um, just really knowing how to work with so many different personalities, mm. I think is really helpful. And like I said, like working through that adversity or juggling multiple different projects at the same time, because you have to kind of have some sense of time management when yeah. you're an athlete. Um, but I think also it's, it's hard, again, with that piece of having your entire identity around being an athlete. So I try really hard not to do that with speaking because I don't want to put self-worth into speaking. And then if I have a bad speech for whatever reason, things just happen. Um, I don't want to then feel like a failure because I had that one bad day. So yeah. about for me, it's really just remembering that I'm, I'm more than an athlete. I'm even though I'm not anymore, <laughs> I'm more than a speaker. I'm, I'm, you know, more than a daughter or a sister or friend. Like I'm, you know, I'm, there's so many things about me and if one thing goes wrong, it's not the end of the world. So that's where my athlete, athletic mentality kind of um, helped me in that sense to, to stray away from putting my entire self-worth into that. 
how do you find the audiences? You say, like, do you just reach out to schools or mm-hmm. ADs? Like, how do you find the Yeah, the, the so and- luckily I have, like, a really good network based off my athletic career, like, from high school or college. A lot of my coaches have moved on to different schools, so mm-hmm. they have new connections. Um, so really, yeah, it's a lot of cold emails, which sometimes go nowhere and sometimes mm-hmm. lead to great things. Um, and, and then other times just connections, letting my coaches, my ADs, know, knowing about what I want to do, what message I want to spread, and then they connect me usually yeah. with other people. And that's led to opportunities like the NCAA, which was nice. huge. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's actually walk through that. What was that like? How'd, how'd you get it? The NCAA mm-hmm. speaking opportunity and like, yeah, walk us through that yeah. whole process. So my athletic director from University of New Haven, Debbie Chin, um, I reached out to her probably in December and told her I wanted to continue to share my message and just wanted her feedback and thought process on what I wanted to do. And we chatted a bunch and she said, you know, I, I know the um, vice president of NCAA Division II. I want to get you connected with her. They do this workshop twice a year and I think you'd be great. So, you know, she basically initiated the contact and then we kind of just took it off and all of a sudden I was going to be one of the keynote speakers at a workshop that they were doing for the coaches in June. Um, And it was the longest speech I've ever done. I usually do like an hour, an hour and a half. So this is a two and a half hour workshop and it was intense, but it was actually also really empowering for me to, to walk away and be like, okay, I just, I just did that. And I kept their attention. And, you know, we obviously did activities. I didn't just talk about them the whole time, but um, it was good for them to, to like understand like the resources that they have at their school that they never really recognized they had before or recognize things about themselves that they could help their student athletes they hadn't recognized before. And that was all through doing some inner reflection as well as some group conversations about, because it was all different schools that were there. So they were able to kind of brainstorm together and like, how can we best support our student athletes? That's awesome. So do you, how receptive uh, are the, I'll split it into two groups. How receptive mm-hmm. are to people in power positions um, right. uh, when it comes to having, being transparent about how people feel, being respectful right. of that. And then for students, mm-hmm. what's that receptive, what's mm-hmm. that, are they receptive or not? Yeah. I think it's always a balance. I think there's always going to be a student, no matter what topic you're talking about, that is like, get me out of here. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. yeah. there's always going to be a coach the same <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so you're always going to have at least one of those people. Um, but again, it goes kind of back to that, that one person that's impacted. And mm-hmm. I think that they always are receptive. I usually have a line of students or coaches coming up to me after that want to just ask some personal questions that they weren't, you know, feeling like they could ask in front of everybody, which is completely understandable. Um, but yeah, I feel like people are, are receptive to it. They, they want to hear about this topic because I think it's coming up more and more that students are struggling. Um, there's been more and more suicides especially in athletics. So coaches really want to know what can we do for our students? How can I recognize these things? So it's funny, the second I shift from my story to, to, okay, these are all the warning signs. These are the things you can do. These are things I wish my school had done for me. They're like writing down in their notebooks, like ferociously, because they really want this information. They really want to know like, what can I do for my students? What can I do to improve the culture at my school? Um, so I think that they're really, really receptive to it. I even know that was a thing. Like I didn't, maybe, I don't know. I I'm not willfully ignorant about it, but I didn't know that they like suicides. Oh yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I did. That's not something I was aware of at all. Yeah. Suicide is the le- second leading cause of death right now for young people. Um, so it's a really, really tough, um, topic to talk about and it's really uncomfortable. And I always give people the space to kind of leave the room when we're talking about yeah. it because I myself struggled with suicidal thoughts, um, never attempted, but still th- those thoughts are 
really, really scary. Um, and I think a lot of students don't recognize what they can do when they have those thoughts because we don't often give their, our students coping strategies. Yeah. So if they know those appropriate coping strategies, if the coaches know what they can do, then we can prevent something like that from happening. Um, but yeah, suicide definitely is unfortunately on the rise and, and really trying to figure out how we can, there's so many organizations out there trying to figure out how we can best yeah. reduce that. I, I think it's, it's, it's especially like having this talk about business. Like there yeah. was a point in time, I, I feel I can, I see a lot of analogies. Like there's a, right. there was a point in time where this business I was working on didn't work and you, you talk it up so much. You, you've put this pressure on yourself for it to work mm -hmm. for the people mm -hmm. around you that trusted you or helped you maybe investing time, money, or just their ear. And you're right. like, if this does not work, what right. am I doing here? Like right. I have nothing. So the whole concept of like, I've never thought about suicide, but I know what it's like to feel like mm -hmm. there, this, uh, there's nothing. Mm -hmm. I can't see any light at the end of this tunnel. Right. So it's, it, it's, it, it can be scary. Yeah, I feel like sure. you gotta, I don't know, man, I'm weird. I always feel like I've seen enough underdog movies where I'm like, <laughs> I know, I know I'm like in jail for the next 80 years and I'm broke, but I can come back. Right, like, right, right. but I do understand that there are people who are like, if this doesn't work, what am I supposed to do with mm -hmm. myself? Or mm -hmm. like there, there is no future. So that right. could be super duper scary. Right. Like right. Like, I don't even know, like, how do people get that from that point? Like, I've never really been around too many people who've been there. Yeah, there's a lot of key things there. I mean, for sure, having a key support, a strong support system around you that understands what you're going through and is going to be there if you're in a time of crisis. Definitely being in therapy, you know, going to the going to the hospital if you need to be. Sometimes there's situations where somebody who's actively thinking about doing it, like 911, needs to be called. Um, and so I think it's really, again, you know, when you walk into therapy, again, it's a scary, hard work process, but when you have hit rock bottom, if you are, you know, at that point where you're ready to rebuild, it is it is having that support system, going through therapy um, and just doing that work every day. Sometimes students will ask me at the end of my speech if I feel like I've recovered. And I, I say that I feel like I'm recovering because mm -hmm. there's always going to be those bad days, right? Like there's yeah, always going to be yeah. those days where you feel really, really crappy. Yeah. And no matter what you do, you're just going to feel crappy, like from 9 a.m. to when you go to bed. And you yeah. you tried your, your best. And I have those tools now that I know work for me when I'm, when I'm having those bad days. But, you know, sometimes you just don't have those good days. And I think it's important for students to know that even if you have a bad day, like there's going to be tomorrow if you keep fighting. You know, it, like obviously tomorrow's not promised, but to continue just having that hope inside of you rather than thinking that there's not, there's nothing else outside of whatever you were doing. So there's a lot of support, a lot of coping mechanisms that go into that. Is there one speaking engagement that will always stand out? Yes. Yes. So, um, actually there's two. So I did a speech at Stonehill college. Okay. Um, and that was like 300 student athletes. Uh, it was my first time doing a speech without slides. So I had to uh, do it all, like remember it all uh, and remember uh, the flow of it. Um, got my first standing ovation, which is amazing. Nice. <laughs> and then I spoke to like 400 high school student athletes in New Hampshire and, uh, got another standing ovation at the end. One of the students asked a question if, um, he could have a group hug. So then all of this, nice. not all of the students, but a huge group of students like run out to me and give me a hug. So it's like a video of it. it's like 30 of them coming and surrounding nice. me. It's like beautiful. So yeah, those are definitely two of my highlights of my career, being able to make that impact that I could get like standing ovation and a hug and the students felt like good inside to do that. So. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. So you told me about a milestone that's coming up for you, I think next week. Yes. What is that milestone? Yes. I am leaving my full-time job at Partners um, to work full-time as a speaker and continue blogging, Beautifully Simply You. Um, 
So yeah, it's really exciting, really scary, but um, I, you know, it's, it's been a whirlwind of a year, how much it's picked up from, wow. again, this kind of idea of a blog and all a year. Speaking. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Um, just like this first speaking gig at my high school, that was 20 minutes yeah. to, you know, it's just balloons so much and it just makes me feel so good. It's one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my life. And I think when you think about like the trajectory of your life and how short it is and how it can yeah. end it at literally any moment, um, I was like, I want to, I want to do it. I want to try it and kind of just see what happens. And if it fails in two years or whatever, I can always go back to a nine to five. I mean, that's not the hope, but, um, I definitely feel like empowered right now that I've made a difference in students' lives and, um, my August is booked. So I'm feeling pretty good about that, you know? Yeah. Good. Good. (laughs) So yeah, things are picking up and and I'm, I'm excited about kind of where it goes. Do you have any one or few milestones you got like on the wall somewhere for like, let's say the next 12 months? Are there one thing or two things you're like, if I can just do that one thing, I'll be happy. Yeah. So I would say um, I had a goal this year to speak at do 20 speaking engagements. And okay. I like already have crushed that. Nice. So I think I'll say I'm going to do like. 70. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah, So we'll we'll report back. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think that's a huge goal for me. And the other one is I hosted um, a mental health awareness event in Waltham where I grew up and basically did it all by myself. I partnered with an uh, organization called Waltham Partnership for Youth, but it was a huge citywide mental health awareness event. Um, And if anyone's ever planned an event, you know, like how like taxing it is. But um, we had 34 mental health organizations there that were showcasing their work. We had yoga and Zumba and um, self-love flowers. And we did a bunch of just mental health activities for the people that came. Um, And it was an amazing experience, amazing accomplishment to be able to put on like something so huge the city's never done before, kind of like the first of its kind. That's awesome. Um, And so a goal of mine, again, is to keep this going. So, you know, I want to be like the 40th annual. So continue to do that, whether it's in Waltham or or wherever. So nice. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like this, it's this, I'm super like over the top cinematic with stuff, but I kind of, it's, it's funny. Like you talking about being at school and like leaving and how like daunting that was, but now you're like graduating again. It's yeah. odd. Like yeah, you yeah, were yeah. working, you're working on something that came out of nowhere and now you're about to like be in it. Right. But the outlook is so cool. Like it's totally different. Right. You know right. what I mean? Exactly. That's, that's super cool. Exactly. Yeah. It's completely different. And I really like that. I'm graduating again. And I feel like this time when I'm graduating, I feel good about Boom. myself. I'm in therapy, like getting help, like know, know what I need. And you know, I feel like I have a good support system. So I, I definitely feel like this time I'm graduating, not feeling that uh, pressure or expectation to be this perfect person. I can just be who I am. I'm so excited for you. Thanks. And you also got to write a book. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of my goals. One of my goals. Yeah, 2020. <laughs> and I feel like you should name it. Uh, this is the cheesiest name ever, but name it like 54. 54, like, I know. Oh, I know. Like, I know. This is what it is. Well, it's funny because I really feel like life is like a 400. I mean, there's like so many different phases of the 400 mm-hmm. where like everything like just starts to hurt and people pass you. And then like, like every situation, <laughs> yeah, right. like, yeah, like yeah, you're right. when someone passes you, it's like, I'm done. Like, you know, like it's like everything is just like, you might as well stop. But the 400, when I think about like anything I do, when I get like nervous for things, like I think about meets and like all the emotions that like go up, like yeah. when you're about to run this race. And then when you finally finish and like, if it's a good race, like how great you feel, but then how horrible you feel if things yeah. don't go well. So I, it's funny that you say the 54 because like that's kind of my thought process is like how life is like a 400. <laughs> Each chapter will be like the different parts of the 400. Cool. Well, I hope we're, let's get, we'll, we'll do whatever we can. Please, let's get to 70 
if we can. Yes, yes. Uh, that'd be awesome. If people are trying to support you, where can they go? Websites, socials, yes, all that. Yes, yes. Uh, so com is my website. Also has my blogs on there. Um, email is ivy at beautifullysimplyyou.com. Um, so feel free to email me on, on the website. There's a contact link box that you can fill out to contact me as well. But I'd love to connect or speak at your school or organization if you're interested. Yes, pay. <laughs> you <would> pay. Yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> well, this is cool. This is super fun. I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I love the analogies that I made here. And I also love the transparency. Like, I think that's something that is uh, mental health is now like, like a real big thing. Right, right. But I also think we need to learn how to apply the new concepts that we learn. Right, like you, exactly. now that we know what anxiety and depression are, what steps right. should you actually take to, you know, prevent exactly. and take care of it? Exactly. So like therapy may be a thing. Like I'm trying to get myself to go to a therapist. Right. My wife's like, just do it. I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I can I can handle this, but no, right, right. I'm going to find the time to do that. And to, I think awesome. even journaling or just yeah. jotting stuff down, just being aware. Right. Right. Be because cool. therapy is a, is a tool. So journaling can be a tool that's yeah. on top of that. So it's not something that you go and you're like, okay, I'm going to tell you everything right now and I'll be fixed. You know, yeah. it's, it's another one of those tools. So even though it's scary, you know, just don't think of it as a, the stigma of it. Just, just another tool in your toolbox. It's going to help you. I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Yeah, no, thanks so much. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. I cannot wait until I can just do something like this alone. I don't hate my job. I'm just saying it'd be <laughs> nice to quit. Not personal. Just to, you know, so yeah. I am very excited that you get to Thank not you. juggle and do this full time. Thank you. Nothing but best wishes. Thank you. And we it. hope to see you in the near future. Yeah, for sure. And for everyone else, please tune in. We will have more interviews coming in down the pipeline. So please stay tuned and thank you. Thanks. <laughs>